3: War Crimes, Crimes Against Humanity, Secret Trips to Ukraine, oh, and guest Daniel Horowitz all coming up here on Critical Thinking. In that voice you're hearing or that beautiful face you're seeing is me, Andrew Coppins, next to Pat Oni. How was your weekend, Mr. Pat Oni?
1: Wait a minute. Are you trying to say that you're better looking than me? Because that's not true.
3: Just because that's what your wife tells you. Hey, hers is the only only opinion that matters. Okay. Whatever (laughs) your fragile ego needs to uh, boost itself. Whatever, dude whatever but we have an absolutely jam-packed show for you today we've got a secret trip to the ukraine and by the ukraine i mean ukraine from the president of the united states of america we've got kamala harris uh basically putting us on the verge of world war three not once but twice over oh, the past geez. weekend and of course crimes against humanity that means we're talking about the rise of the fourth reich uh pat uh, can you hold up your copy of that book Yes, it is right here. Rise of the Fourth Reich, confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial, so this never happens again. Steve Dace, Daniel Horowitz are the authors. We're going to be joined by Daniel Horowitz in the second half of this program. Um, now, before we get into that, uh, Pat, we, does anybody study World War One? anymore and just asking
1: i mean i did in high school i i don't know if they do now
3: (laughs) it's a good point um (laughs) because i don't know about you but i'm watching the president of the united states slip slide his way into ukraine to talk to Zelensky after Zelensky being here it's so strange to me that we have this bitter conflict and war and and danger, right? Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. We have all that happening, right? And, and, and we decide, oh, hey, by the way, we should probably get our geriatric, senile, dementia-riddled president over there. How in the world does that seem like a good idea? More importantly, it is so brutal, this war, that Zelensky can fly his happy ass over here in the middle of leading a war inside of his own country. There'd be akin to Joe Biden deciding, you know, where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to India, um, in the middle of a war on our own soil. What the hell you, what the hell you talking about, Willis? I, I just so for me, this means one of two things is true. This conflict is not as bad as people think it is. Or it is. And our secret service is dumb as shit, because how do you allow that man with all of his physical and mental issues? Uh, well, he was declared fit by the presidential. Really? Oh, really? Or really? you really believe any of that? No. So, no. So one of those two things has got to be true. Am I am I missing something here? Or is there a third way? Um, there, I think there is a third way, actually. Could both of them be true? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But I do you understand what I'm saying though? Like, how in the absolute crap are we supposed to take this seriously well, when we've I, got I, this going on? I think I
1: think here's here's my third possibility to this. Remember all of the uh classified documents that they've been finding in all of the Biden places as
3: of late uh, of which by the way on Friday cuz because we weren't here on Friday right. they also raided his um treasure trove of documents at the University of Delaware his presidential library right. mm-hmm. or vice presidential library or whatever uh-huh. the hell right and uh found more classified
1: documents lovely well um do you remember talking about how some of those classified documents had to do with china ukraine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, Iraq, iran mm-hmm. or iran yes um, one of those i countries in the middle east you yeah the one the one, the one the jingoistic one, american
1: right um so you remember those and uh did, did he by chance go over there because you know there's there's some under the table deal somewhere between him and ukraine I think that's a, I mean, that's a third option, right? I'm not saying that that's true. I'm just saying, well, maybe there's a third option here where he's doing something nefarious behind the scenes. With
3: Ukraine. Didn't think of that, but yeah, it's probably the actually the more likely of all the scenarios that are playing themselves out. So, having said all of that, um, as I take a look at this, right? I, I, I'm struggling to figure out the point of this other than to bring us closer to war. What? I can't think of anything that would inflame an absolute narcissist, the sociopath that is Vladimir Putin, then the president of the United States of America sitting right in the middle of Kiev during a active hot war. And conflict happening.
1: I mean that that that's a middle finger.
3: You you might as well just say we're at war. Now we have argued that the that there's the intern. This is really a proxy war for national socialism versus international socialism. We've long argued that being the case, but what what good is served? By the President of the United States of America making this trip. I I honestly have no clue. I honestly don't know how anybody can make a case for this being the smart, um, calm, rational thing to do. You you couldn't have made the address that you made two weeks ago when, when, when Zelensky came here. Right, you you couldn't have done anything via Zoom, Skype, uh, eCam Live. You uh, pick a pick a video conferencing, um, you but, know. But product. stop and
1: think about it. I mean, what's happened over the last two weeks? We've had classified documents come out. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we keep forgetting that, Pat. We keep, we, we, we keep, we keep having more and more though. come out. Why not? Why not go over there and make sure? Hey, hey, mm-hmm. my 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 trust fund for me and my kid are good, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I but to i just i just can't like if if you study world war 1 the only thing that we're missing is an assassination of a key player in all of this yeah that yeah. archduke ferdinand moment yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but but the rest of how world war 1 started is an absolute like crossing of wires insane diplomacy, all of those things, right? We, World War One is a war that never should have happened. I, I want people to understand that. That war was 100% preventable. Un- but it was still a skirmish that was breaking out, right? Even as Archduke Franz Ferdinand is eradicated from the earth, right? As he gets assassinated, even prior to that, there were skirmishes going on in and central europe was really on fire but but the small skirmishes could have stayed small they could have stayed local if you will mm-hmm. and instead it blew up why because you killed a head of state but it but all of the the things all of the things that france wanted or all of the things that russia was looking at right this was a proxy war going on in the middle of europe right the austro-hungarian empire was basically the ukraine right of their time that this was a fight that was going on behind the scenes and then it became an active hot war because wires were crossed because of the assassination and a whole bunch of other factors i mean it's complicated but the the basic gist is there was a lot of proxy warring that turned into a hot war because somebody decided they were going to flip that switch. How many times do we want to poke the bear, if you will? We we've got somebody, whether this is true or or not, and everybody seems to deny it. Now, of course, I would be denying it if I were the United States of America in in the, in the Hirsch um um dossier, if you will, or the article that he had put out, uh, stating that we were the ones to go after Nord Stream. Uh, pipelines, right? That in and of itself could be that provocation that Putin is looking for to just go balls to the wall here. Hypersonic missiles that we don't have, by the way, but they do. Um, Nuclear war. Who's crazy enough to do it? China getting closer to putin taiwan hanging on the brink india who loved themselves some donald freaking trump right they couldn't have there could not have been a better ally to america during the donald trump years than india they've been a great capitalistic economic story over the last 30 years when they when they turned away from national socialism by the way Right After their independence, they were a very socialist nation. They, they still have the caste system and all that sort of stuff, and I understand that. But they have transformed their society into one of the greatest stories of capitalistic um, growth that you'll ever see. They're now muckety-mucketing it up with China and Russia and Iran. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, two of these top three nations in this world in population joining up together, not a good thing for us. Uh, no,
1: no, not a good thing for us. Um, strange. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is possible uh precursors if you will to a world war III scenario
3: i'm glad you brought up uh precursors because over the weekend in munchen in munich um somebody decided to put kamala harris in front of a microphone and this happened oh boy
2: long before i was vice president of the united states i spent the majority of my career as a prosecutor beginning as a young lawyer in the courtroom and later running the California Department of Justice. I know firsthand the importance of gathering facts and holding them up against the law. In the case of Russia's actions in Ukraine, we have examined the evidence. We know the legal standards And there is no doubt these are crimes against humanity. The United States has formally determined that Russia has committed crimes against humanity. And I say to all those who have perpetrated these crimes and to their superiors who are complicit in these crimes, you will be held to account.
3: All of that may be true, Pat, correct? All that may be true that they have indeed committed crimes against humanity.
1: Yes, it, it may be true.
3: I I I will give her at least that. It may be true. Here's my here's my issue with this. actually two issues. Number 1 is you better well damn have the receipts and where the are they? Okay? That's number 1. And number 2, if you if you have the receipts, bring them now. You don't use this rhetoric and then do nothing about it. This needs to be coupled with action. And that action can be very simple, as in we are now going to oopsie, that superior is missing, and that superior is missing. And this superior over here is missing, right? we or more importantly, ho oh, ho, what do you know? This person's been arrested. Or this person's being prosecuted. You don't tell Russia, we know what you did, and shame on you. And do nothing about it.
1: But if you are going to do that, you best damn bring receipts.
3: Yep. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing? I mean, this is. No, I'm is not asking crazy. for. I'm not asking for foolproof evidence mm-hmm. here. When I, what the hell are they? You say that you've got un, incontrovertible evidence, right? Right. Okay, what is it? Because here's the rub. If you have it, it's going to come out anyway at trial. Right, right. because that's what you're going to do. You're going to say that they need to go in front of the Hague, right, for your crimes against humanity. And, and again, sure. I, I don't know all of the ins and outs of what has happened. I do know that there have been multiple reports of raping and pillaging and God knows what has gone down in Ukraine. I know that those exist, but again, we are not on the ground. We don't know the reality of the situation. And unfortunately, we live in a world in which these things could easily be made up for people's own political power grabs. That's the reality of that situation. So bring the receipts and you should have had them on display at that moment in time. Boom, bam, bingo, bongo. We're tweeting them out. We're going to you know, we're doing what we can. Right. Like we're, we're here's a video that we're releasing of all the allegations we're going to make. <laughs> Furthermore, if you're going to make these allegations and and you don't bring the receipts,
1: what exactly do you have in mind of what you're going to do to Russia right. at the end of the day? How exactly. are you going to hold them accountable? Are you just going to sit there behind a microphone and speak tough words? I mean, you are
3: poking the freaking bear. Because on the flip side of this, what is Putin's response? Are you bleeping me? We don't. We're not committing war crimes. Of course, very likely they have been. That has been the the anecdotal evidence that we've been given over the course of the last couple of years, right? I mean, we've even said war crimes in Ukraine at one point. Oh, absolutely, because yeah. we we've heard the reports. But again, let, let's let's deal with the realities here: reports versus reality. So bring the receipts, show us, and more importantly, show us you're going to actually take action. Oh, we're gonna hold you accountable. <laughs> The time for making that speech is when you have already either arrested, disappeared, or whatever, every single one of these people, right? Or more importantly, Mm. you've begun the operation to do so. Because what is Putin's response to this? Like, what would anybody who's on the other side of this? uh Uh-oh, I've been caught. What is that response? Ramp it up? Tamp it down? Or go full-speed war? Now, more importantly, this isn't the only thing that Kamala Harris had to say this weekend. Pat. Oh, good grief. Really? Well, there's more because, you know, when we're trying to, you know, uh, blow out the ignited flame of World War III, you know what you really want to do? Send Double Kamala down. Harris to talk about China as well.
1: So she doubled down.
2: We are also troubled that Beijing. Has deepened its relationship with Moscow since the war began. Looking ahead, any steps by China to provide lethal support to Russia would only reward aggression, continue the killing, and further undermine a rules based order. Vice President Kamala Harris
1: are you kidding me So wait, wait, wait. Uh, I was being somewhat facetious when I said she she doubled down. No, no. She really she didn't just
3: double down. She tripled down. She didn't double down or triple down, Pat. She went all in. Oh, that okay. That
1: that's a better analogy.
3: Okay. I'll run with that. She pushed it all into the middle and basically said, China, uh, how dare you? And if you dare do that thing you want to do that you shouldn't do, we're going to do something to you. Again, what is that? I mean. Right. Because because here's the reality of the situation. The only answer, the only possible answer to if you do what I told you not to do. In this situation, right? Which was to arm and fund and prop up Russia in the aggressatory way, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The only thing, the only response possible is to what? Aggress against them? What the hell do you think they're going to do if you do that to them? And how are you going to aggress against them? Economic sanctions? Oh, freaking really. Right? Like, is that? Oh, um, Taiwan's ours now. What are you going to do? You have talked all weekend. You have talked all weekend. Tough, 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 right? Tough talking Kamala. You ain't going to do shit. It's kind of like
1: the bully on the playground principle. You know, if you're going to go and talk crap about the bully and the bully comes up to you and says, "Okay, what are you going to do about it? You better be prepared to do something about it. Oh, and by the way, your damn sight better win. Otherwise, you're going to get your ass
3: kicked. And frankly, I don't want any of my nieces or nephews or cousins, kids or anybody dying for this shit. I, I don't. This has nothing to do with us. It never has. It never should have. And we're going to put ourselves into World War Three Four. I cannot for the life of me understand how in the hell you send the vice president of the United States of America out to a conference to intentionally this was not some off the cuff you know statement right this was an intentional speech given mm-hmm. to inflame China to inflame Russia not to not to make them cower in their bo- you think they're scared you think Either of them are scared. No. Hell no. N- not because mention- guess what? They have a very strange way of understanding what you're saying to them. And their response ain't going to be what you think it's going to be. Yeah. What, what? Where are you going to go? And furthermore. You drag our asses into this without Congress, without the people's house getting a say in this. How dare you? Because that's exactly where this is going with this type of rhetoric. You have no authorization, no way of knowing how the American people actually think about this, no sense of where we are. You're going to put us in this situation for your own good? For what? I can't for the life of me figure out the reason why you believe war is the answer here. Why? You are literally handing World War III to the world when you should be the ones Pulling the levers back and staying the hell out of regional conflict when it has literally nothing to do with us. Nothing. I mean, we,
1: we've said many times before that uh, this is probably the most feeble and competent administration um, when it comes to, well, of all time. But they are especially feeble and incompetent when it comes to foreign policy. Joe Biden, let alone Kamala Harris, should be nowhere near talking about foreign policy ever,
3: ever. For our State Department to put this in front of the Vice President of the United States of America on the doorstep of Ukraine in Germany, right? You're, you're just one other country over Germany, mm. Poland, Ukraine. Yeah. What? the hell are you thinking with this rhetoric? This is rhetoric that you might reserve for, I don't know, Pat, when you're behind closed doors, right? Sure. But this is rhetoric that you use publicly for one reason and one reason only. This is the final step, right? This isn't the red line of Obama. Because if this was the red line of Obama, they would just do it and we wouldn't do anything about it. Right. We're saying we're going to do something about it if you do. What the hell is that something? Mm -hmm. Ooh, more economic sanctions? You think any of it has worked in Russia? We've gone over this time and again. None of it has worked. Now, it is starting to potentially work because the the ruble has lessened in its importance, but there's a large debate over that topic. You think that China isn't just going to say, oh, really, watch us take Taiwan, what the hell are you going to do about it? And if we do that, you don't think Putin's going to attack? This is the dumbest presidency of our entire lives. And I'm just going to leave it at that. So, speaking of crimes against humanity, as we get done talking about uh, Kamala Harris and the case for war, World War three. i I'm just, oh my gosh. But speaking of crimes against humanity, I think this is a great time for us to bring in our guest today, the one and only host of the cr podcast Conservative Review podcast, a great listen. Um, it is on my list, and I don't listen to a lot of conservative podcasts or libertarian podcasts these days. Um, so if it's on that list, you know it's good golden. Do not forget, he is also a purveyor of woe and lamentation, a very, very, very data-driven individual. We are talking to Daniel Horowitz, also best-selling author of Rise of the Fourth Reich. That's why he is here today to talk to us about the crimes against humanity, the case for a brand new Nuremberg trial. Thank you, first off, for joining us here today. How are things going by you? Great to be with you, Andrew and Patrick. And yeah, I'll tell you guys, the callings
0: are coming from in our own home. The problems aren't overseas. And I think it's an interesting connection there. You mentioned with Ukraine, because You can't even prosecute foreign policy until you deal with the genocide that's taking place here at home. And that's what we try to bring to life um, in this in this book. And we could talk about extensively.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, we got our books on um, on the very first day that the book was available to the public and. Um, Pat, you couldn't put it down. And I've read faster than I think I've ever read a book in my entire life um, at this point in time. So that speaks volumes. It w- it's absolutely engrossing and enthralling because of not only because of the content, but also how it's presented. It's not presented in this great academic format, right? Where it's just so dry and so hard for somebody to slog through data and analysis. And, you know, in a previous life, um, that's where I come from is a professional data analysis background. So that's where I want to start here, because for me, that that was something I was paying attention to from the very get go. Let me take a look at the data and what is the data telling us? What is the information telling us? And I've held fast to two constants throughout all of this. Number one, if it's bad data coming in, it's going to be bad data going out. You, You can't scrub bad data. You can't do it. And then point number two, April of 2020, we had the very, f- only, the only experiment we really needed happened in the state of Wisconsin, my former home state, um, and that was 500,000 people went to the polls in person. The the only in person, oh my gosh, how dared the state of Wisconsin do in person voting? Right, of the 500,000 or thereabouts people. Somewhere between 17 and 23, because the Wisconsin State Department of Health changed the numbers and they kind of fluctuate between 17 and 23. 17 and 23 people out of 500,000 contracted COVID with the caveat of they have no idea if it actually happened at the polling place or not. So from the very get-go, we had bad data with the IHME. We had bad data with the uh, Imperial College Modeling and we had a massive experiment all of the information that is available to us at that point in time the facebook arguments the twitter arguments the arguments on video right for me none of it would none of it seemed to matter for the people who were just so stuck in that fear and in yep. that resentment it didn't matter you could present them with rational argument after rational argument it didn't matter so i guess my big question here is is did you guys write this book to help maybe try to move that goalpost or to do something different? Is this more for the set of people who are already there mm. and maybe they can inform others or what was the motivation? Because I find it really difficult to even at this point, argue with somebody who still believes in masks and in yeah. all of those things, all of the
0: above. And that's a really a terrific question. You know, was this more for those that already learned about this and they knew from day one or came of knowledge a few months into it and now they just need a reaffirming or, or is this to convert people and it really is both. And the, the reason is this, like you mentioned, we've been putting out between Steve and myself several hundred columns and several hundred podcasts on COVID fascism, every element of it. The the clinical trials, the vaccine injury, the lockdowns, the masking, the the therapeutics, the treatment, the blocking of treatment, the legal aspect, the moral aspect, the medical aspect. We've had various guests on, and Steve. When Steve asked me to write a book together, I was thinking, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, it just gets in my way. I'm just trying to do this with my daily columns, my voice. I don't need to sit and do this. What is it going to do for me? And, And that's where Steve really developed this idea. Of no, no. Let's write it through the stories we're living it. We lived with these people that were on the cusp of dying, and I, you know, I'm a political guy. I'm not a medical professional, but <laughs> right. my show became a clearinghouse of people emailing. I got someone in the hospital. We need treatment, and I had all these doctors on the show, and people were interested. So we wound up treating people i mean i've I've even had people name their kid daniel after me because they felt i saved their life and all i did is i connected them with 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 the right doctors a way to get help and i was thinking these stories need to be told so yes we have the right amount of data just enough to bring the receipts but it is an easy read to tell it through the eyes of witnesses experts victims people lost um You know, either they were involved in the clinical trials, they were involved in the military when they were forcing on people. And I think by now everyone understands, oh, yeah, they were wrong about lockdowns. That everyone gets, most people. I mean, except for when you talk about that 20, 25 percent, you're never going to convince them. But that's true of every policy issue. Um, The masking is, yeah, I mean – yeah except for the, the the lunatics and then now even the the vaccine if you look at the take up the last 6 to 8 months i mean people are done with it so i think that's the good news people are open to this and but the problem is we can't allow this to be a drive by yeah that was wrong that was wrong wait a minute stop do you realize the human toll of what you just did and these weren't just oops, I burnt the toast. Uh, as we mentioned in the book, a warlike decision where you have to send this brigade here or that brigade there and it's all or nothing. It's like shooting a bullet. You can't take it back. No, every day, each of these policies could have been six to 12 months long, 18 months long, or some of them to this very day. It's like, Daniel, how do you know it was a willful genocide? Well, we we bring the receipts, but I'll tell you the most obvious one. Despite everything we know, every last micro and macro point of the negative efficacy and the fact that it affects every organ system in your body, every pharmacovigilance, every safety data, every life insurance, medical billing, disability, theirs, V-safe, macro epidemiological data, this and, they're still doing it. They're still, in red states, they're still mandating it on people who wanna go to nursing school, medical school, law school, and this includes even public universities in so-called red states, right? So we haven't even gotten rid of the mandates, much less taken off the market. And they're like, awesome, let's come out with an RSV MRNA shot. So yeah, obviously it's the same thing with, uh, by the way, I I gotta bring this in because this is the rise of the fourth Reich. Yeah, we're gonna kill you, Um, is Palestine. You could debate over what was the best thing to do, when they knew it. We are two weeks into knowing that Mm -hmm. this was a widespread problem and about a week and a half into widespread rashes respiratory problems and they smell it and they're still like yeah maybe we could debate rail safety like dude it's not about the rail it's about you got to get them the hell out of there you got to evacuate them and then we could talk about and they're not doing it the policies continue and continue and continue and the data doesn't freaking matter every day we think we have a kill shot you know friday Just Friday, Mm -hmm. Die Welt, it's a a big publication in Germany, came out with an expose on the clinical trial. So the the old question was, and we deal with this in the book, well, how do you have, I mean, I could throw a million data points at you, but I'll give (laughs) you one. I'll give you one. How do you have on the one hand a situation? So there's 24,000 medical billing codes, roughly about 24,000, the realm of possibilities of injury maladies that you could bill for and diagnose. 60% 60% of them, so more than 14,000, are accounted for, associated, and connected to the shot on, on their CDC's own pharmacovigilance that they themselves say is underreported with myocarditis. They say in a, in a, in a publication, JMA. So we have that. But on the, on the other hand, the trials were 100% safe and effective. Well, now we know indeed what happened was, and this is what they explain. So people within days got died of strokes died of heart yep. attacks, had the neurological stuff, and they were like, oh, you're out of the trial. Or, or, um, yeah, but it's not it's not the vaccine. See, typically, it's guilty until proven innocent. When you come up with a novel thing and you have a trial, it's like, whoa, any problem? Look, you have a sample size of a lot of, a lot of people. Could be they would have had that anyway. And they knew it from day freaking one. But there's nothing... There's quite literally nothing that could come out about this that will make a difference. You need to act, and we want to motivate people to act and to. So now, I would argue um, with b- both of you guys. I would argue with the point that a lot of people are telling me, Daniel, like, but it's the apathy, you, you know the um, the mass psychosis formation. Here's the good news: the fear is over. No one gives a rip about it. But that's also the bad news. They don't give a rip about it. And this is the problem we have. I don't need people to be fearful, live your life, but just realize they're building and strengthening biomedical surveillance and tyranny and mandates. They're strengthening the pipeline of mRNA and, 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 um, and dangerous ther- therapeutics and these experimental stuff and the authorities for which they they uh, activated it. If you look at every day, there's another news story. Man, warp speed was really great, it was a success. We're gonna use that as a model going forward. My point is, how do you emerge from this and not deal with the legal, moral, policy, medical structure that allowed this to happen to ensure it doesn't happen again?
3: And I think you know that is really the best case to be made here is the legal and moral case. Um, you can leave the data aside because everybody can argue data, right? Data is not a hard and fast yep. thing necessarily. Um, now, some cases it can be, but, uh, but that's the argument. And I think that's really what you guys did a great job of hitting the nail on the head on in this book. Um, Pat, you actually had a really good question to ask in relation to something he had brought up, right?
1: Yeah. So um, I'll actually start with this, you know, because I've I've read the whole book. I I devoured it this weekend. And um, in the appendix, it actually lays out the case of what we would need to do to change as a people and then through Congress um, to make sure that these things never happen again. However, isn't that just a piece of paper with a bunch of writing on it? I mean, criminals don't follow laws. So how do we put teeth behind it?
0: Bingo, bingo. And, and that's really good. So so first off, let me just tweak that a little bit. I actually focus mainly on state and local government. Remember, most of the COVID fascism arose at a state and local level, at least directly as it relates to people. That's where it needs to be fixed. So most of the action items, I start off with the counties, um, the resolution of apology, different things. But you're absolutely right. It's more the expression of the people. See, let's say we quietly got in some law, like we're able to quietly slip something in an omnibus bill. That wouldn't work. No, you need to win. We need a public argument. That's part of the thing. So, you know, I'm, I've been working on the action items. there are all, you know, last two months since the legislatures are in session. We just have a bill in Idaho that will ban the State Department of Health from promoting more mRNA shots because we have the RSV shot come out. we got to get ahead of it. I want to, that thing is making headlines now, and we're going to bring down hopefully people like Ryan Cole and Peter McCullough, people like that to testify, and we're going to start having the debate we never had. Um, We're governed by political will, not by the rule of law, as you just said, Patrick, you're absolutely correct. So it's actually the process, and this is why one of the centerpieces of making Nuremberg great again, um, if, if someone said like, what's the biggest thing we need to do? If I had to put it on one thing. It's this, and we now have several states have adopted the language in the book. Um, they've taken it from that. We have in West Virginia, we have in, in Iowa. Um, we did have someone attempt to do it in South Dakota, got shot down, a state constitutional amendment. See, when you talk about amending the federal constitution, it's a joke, Never, it never happens, it's impossible. Just, it's not gonna happen. But you get these red states, I mean, you could you, you, you pass it out of the legislature, which they absolutely can, and it goes to the people. Mm -hmm. And the language is roughly something like this that there is an inviolable right of every person to refuse any medical treatment, prophylactic injection or device, and they cannot be discriminated against in the realm of public accommodation on account of exercising that right. Full stop. This is the vaccination. This is the immunization that we need from from COVID tyranny that. One thing we should have all learned, and I'll explain the policy and then the politics behind it of how you make it stick. As far as the policy, the one thing we have to realize both legally and scientifically is that there is never a scenario where it's okay for me to say, Patrick, you must take an affirmative action to your body in order to accommodate me, person B. Um, there's no such legal rationale because if there were, there's quite literally nothing a government can't do to you. Typically, when you talk about regulation, it's regulating your activity. Here, we're regulating your inactivity, or put another way, mandating an action that you take—a medical action that you have to, you know, cover your 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 body. Look, we talk about the yellow star, and they're actually doing this in hospitals that you, in order to differentiate who has to wear a mask, wear mm-hmm. a yellow star that you're vaccinated. Um, you know, it was humiliating, but it didn't cover your mouth and nose. This covers your breathing holes. How could a government force that upon a human being? And then, scientifically, what we all should have learned is if something works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. There's no such case of your vaccine protects me, but not you. Your mask <laughs> protects me, but not you. Only if I do it too, there's no such thing. So it's like, I don't wanna send my kid to school with this kid that doesn't have an MMR, but let's forget about the COVID shots. Let's talk about something that's a little bit more accepted. Um, that's nice, but your kid has the vaccine. So what the hell are you worried about? <laughs> Meaning exactly. God didn't create the world that it is okay to say to another human. Now you could do an action, like let's say I'm smoking in your in your domain. Okay, well, you're doing a proactive, but you just being there are a problem and you need to be eradicated you need to be dealt with unless you take an action against your body that is the fourth Reich, and we trace that to the medical nationalism of the third reich and everything in the book that needs to be eradicated that's why i'm advocating a constitutional amendment because guess what the people vote it goes on the ballot you have a campaign i don't just want to pass it i want To have this in the body politic, in the culture, a recognition that this is never okay. And frankly, I am shocked that I'm the only one calling for this.
3: Yeah. And I think that's actually a really brilliant idea because what you're really doing is end arounding Team Stab You in the Back, AKA Team GOP, right? That it's an end around. Like you're going to be useful as far as you're going to be useful, and we're going to make this happen. Uh, going forward, and in living in Chicago like I do, like I, I've experienced every ounce of what you've been talking about. You know yeah. the the vaccine mandates, the passports, the every you know single thing, every question. You're not getting it. Well, guess what? You know, to to each their own. Um, now, I guess for me, as we look at this from a realistic st- uh, standpoint. Where do you see this going? Because I see obviously Florida has some version of this with a grand jury attempting to look at Pfizer. We've given that federal immunity to Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca. Um, So when we take a look at this, where can this be? Is this really a state fight like it is in Florida where we're going to have to go almost grand jury by grand jury by grand jury? Or is this something in which we might get a class action eventually? So it's
0: all of the above. It's a synergistic effect of doing multiple things. I think having a voice, again, it's not just a vote. Votes are meaningless. That's paper, but the voice. So also having members in Congress and the committee hearings and the grand juries in Florida, hopefully more states and the state legislatures and, you know, forming commissions in as many states as you can, getting as many governors on board, all of this, you know, becoming a big part of the presidential a Republican primary, all of it, anytime you have a platform is definitely important and we need to utilize all of it. Obviously, there are certain things that are you know, more state, certain things are more federal. The big item on the federal level is we need to force a vote in the United States House to get rid of this indemnity, to get rid of the NCVIA of 1986 Act that exempts vaccine companies from liability and the PREP Act, which exempts anything uh, national public health emergency related to, so remdesivir is included in that. The um, the abuse in the nursing homes is, is I mean, anything, anything. Yeah,
3: Paxlovid. It, it,
0: all of that, all of that stuff, it's all good. And that's the single biggest thing. I mean, the notion that a government could go and fund something, market it, distribute it, advertise it like no product since adam and eve and then absolve it of liability and then of course collaborate with the media and sense and tech to censor any opposing views that is a form of fascism that is unimaginable even before we get to directly mandating it and then they had direct mandates too meaning even short of that that's not the enlightened consent that General Telford discussed at um he was the chief prosecutor at Nuremberg, discussed that the doctor's trial at Nuremberg, you need an enlightened consent. Like my concern is, you know, with this RSV shot coming up, even if they don't mandate it, but every pediatrician and you're is gonna say you have to get this. Every mm-hmm. boot of government is gonna promote this, every local news is literally bought and paid for by Pfizer. I mean, yeah. that's 60% of the advertising is pharma. Um, yeah, and then that money, comes, but that money comes from us funneled through the government. It's unbelievable. Oh, and one more thing. And this ties into a lot of the news of the day and some of the um, at least two to three of the witnesses we have in the book. Guess what? Who is the arbiter of the safety and efficacy of their product? The manufacturer themselves. Yep. Right. Of course. So of course. This guy had a heart attack. This guy had a stroke. Yeah, but that wasn't from it. Done. Done. So you don't, they don't even mark it down. To this day, Maddie DeGarry, I mean, a 12-year-old, that's one of the stories in the book. She was in the Pfizer clinical trial. She is in a wheelchair, disabled, has trouble breathing, trouble eating. For the rest of her life, she's normal, totally healthy. This happened right away after the shot. So it's black and white. It's not like a, you know someone who was 90 years old and maybe they were already sick or whatever. And to this day, her um, condition is not in the trial. Although, although what's interesting is Pfizer, we now know, and this is one of the things the public's unaware of, February 28, 2021, very early on, before almost any young person get, got the shot, mainly only seniors at that point, they already recorded 1,200 deaths, endless injuries. They had to hire so much staff just to deal mm-hmm. with the intake. And they have nine pages worth of, Maladies about I think about fourteen hundred if you add them up, so all severe. Those are se- severe. Rare as anything. A lot of them. Maddie DeGarry's rare form of neuropathy is on there. They knew about it. Every time I come across a story, I'm like, Did you check the Pfizer document? And and then the you know the victim or the relatives like, No. And I look it up, and it's there. They knew about it. It's unreal. They knew, I wanna make it very clear, you're gonna come away from the book clearly, they created the virus, they created a vaccine that works like a, at least as bad as a virus, if not worse. They blocked the treatment for it, you put it all together. There is no way, there is no way this wasn't an oops, I burnt the toast, because you would've been like, Mm -hmm. hey, I shut down the school for two weeks, maybe three weeks, okay, a month. They did it. it didn't matter. This was all planned because, we focus a big part on the book on a, a forgotten part of this, which is that, forget about the mandates, but we were told COVID is the worst. It is so bad. You yep. need to cut off our head, trillions of dollars, destroy the economy, shut down schools, mental health, physical health, blah, 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 blah. okay. Wow. So COVID, is, uh, that's really bad, right? I mean, this thing's the worst thing ever. right? Okay. 70-year-old with diabetes and heart disease calls up his doctor, PCP, and says, hey, dude, I got COVID. No, no, I actually have it. I got it. Stay home until you can't breathe and then go to the hospital. We have remdesivir and uh, and a ventilator waiting for you. And doctors were like, oh my gosh, no, we have treatment, we have treatment. You would have doctors that literally in their urgent cares treated Mm -hmm. thousands of people. Why wouldn't you look at people? No, we're not doing that. Well, Well, what do you care? I mean, the worst thing, these are safe, Known anti inflammatories, worse comes to worse, it doesn't work, but it certainly is no harm. You're willing to try things that are known. The juxtaposition of the things that they knew were deadly and ineffective, and they mandated them to the things that were long standing, approved, and safe and broad spe- spectrum anti inflammatories that they denied your ability to voluntarily have it, even as we note in several of the testimonies on their dying breath. You had people on ventilators there. They said, doctor calls up, time to take them off the ventilator and talk about palliative care. It's, it's over.
2: Absolutely. Say, hey, could try
0: a could try vermectin? No, we will cause problems. <laughs> that's not, again, a disagreement of opinion. That's, yep. a, that's the fourth Reich.
3: Absolutely. Well, Daniel, I think we got our time up here. So thank you so much for joining us on Critical Thinking. How can people find the book? Sure.
0: So obviously it still hasn't been taken off, thank God. Uh, right. It is on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, anywhere, any of these online sites you you purchase your book. Um, I would recommend purchasing it for a member of Congress or your state legislator. Um, get it on their desk. Make sure people know about these forgotten stories. We cannot allow. These millions of people, millions died from COVID because of lack of treatment, millions died from the vaccine. We cannot allow their memory to be erased. And you know what? You will regret it if you don't do this because they're going to do it again. And I would also say, you know, ask your, fill out online. Usually there's a place for your public library in the county. Ask them to stock it so people see it. My goal is that last chapter to restore the Nuremberg Code, our our agenda items. This is a movement. It's not just a book, and we need to raise its prominence so we don't allow the political class to forget what happened to us while they're planning the next
3: iteration. Absolutely. Do not forget, folks, you can follow him on Twitter at RMConservative. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. What a pleasure. God bless. God bless. So, Pat, I, I feel bad, first of all first off, cause you only really got one good one in there. But, uh, it, when you get Daniel Horowitz down the track, like you, you don't need to like give him a swift kick in the rear end. You just need to go like, I don't know. Um, orange Cassidy for a wrestling reference and orange Cassidy and just, just lightly and gently kick him, And then he'll just go the rest of the way. <laughs> um, so your first takeaway, first of all, um, before we get into your takeaway, I want everybody to know um every Monday going forward here for a little while, we're going to do a book club on the fourth, uh, the rise of the fourth Reich. And uh, we're gonna do chapters one and two next Monday. So get yourself a copy of that. Go to Amazon.com. It's one of the best selling books on Amazon right now, still a week in. Um, and so I want everybody to understand that we're gonna be doing a book club here on this show on chapters one and two. Um Next, starting next Monday, but Daniel's uh, interview is the introduction to the book club that we're going to be doing on it. Um, so, your your reaction to what Daniel had to say uh, in that interview?
1: So, so let me let me actually start with this. This is February twentieth, twenty twenty three. We're we're still fairly early into the year, are we not? Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we really don't make much. You know, doing the show, um, they didn't ask to come on here. We asked them. All that is correct, right? Mm -hmm. I'm telling you right now, because I finished the book yesterday. I am telling you right now, this book is the most important book of the year.
3: Yeah. Yeah. and, And I'm slightly into the book. I'm not, not as I did not get as far as you did, but I think it. You know, to do the interview, you, you just need the concepts of the book and, right. and that. Sure. but, but sure. what I, what I have found, having had people in the military in my life, right, and knowing what they have to go through and the hoops they jump through and all the the rigmarole and things that they're going through, it is unconscionable the level of cognitive dissidence that exists. Not in the rank and file, the the E1s, if you will, and and all of that, but I am talking about the Muckety mucks, right? I am talking about from the head of the DOD down, right? The the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the the you know, the general of the Air Force and and all of that. The the level of cognitive dissidence that exists there is frightening. Because the the number one thing I get. Cognitive, cognitive dissidents from the, you know, private marine, right? From the the low level uh, E1 rank, right? I totally understand right. that because your job is to not question things, right? Like, okay, hold up, wait a minute. I'm just going to do what I'm told here and let's move forward. But on something as important as your own health, you don't and never should have cognitive cognitive dissidents. It should be something that you critically think through. And the level of shut up and do it, In the uh, upper echelons of the military, the levels of shut up and do it in the upper echelons of our government is sickening. It's the, the, the rut got the poison that is pointed out. The inability to hear another side of the story, it speaks to the lack of critical thinking that exists in our society on such a broad level. If you ever want to know how we got here, the argument is as simple as this. We don't critically think as a society. We have been taught, whether that's through the, the Pavlov dogging of our smartphones and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. I, I I just, we've been taught to, everything has to be at our fingertips and easy and in front of us right now, right away. What was my very first when I go back and I look, the very first thing I ever said about COVID was to take it personally seriously, but to wait and see. And that's proven to be the right tactic the entire time. Wait and see. As we wait and see, as we get further and further along here, there are more and more questions to be asked. The, the data points become, wait, what? What the hell? Um, whether you talk about efficacy, whether you talk about masking, social distancing, whether you talk about any of the so-called mitigation strategies, all of those things. What the book really highlights for me is the level of cognitive dissonance of our society and the answer being critical thinking. How do we get out of this? Critical think, mass critical thinking. And we didn't even get into this with Daniel, Pat, but a great, great example of providence exists this past weekend. Hundreds upon hundreds of people protesting outside of the headquarters of Pfizer, calling for Nuremberg. Was that something Daniel and Steve Dace, a former guest on this program, did? No, they didn't didn't organize that. In New York City, hundreds and hundreds of people taking time out of their Saturday to go protest at the headquarters of Pfizer. I would suggest the the ability for people to critically think and engage in that would make that hundreds and hundreds into hundreds of thousands all across this country in due time. Well, that's where I'm at. When I, what I have read from this book so far is the the level of co- the the level of cognitive dissonance from people who had the power to stop it and did nothing. Right. The level of cognitive dissonance from those who just shut up in well, I'm gonna do the easy thing instead of the hard thing and say, hang on a second, we need to take a wait and see approach. I get, I get, I can be empathetic to your personal situation while also saying, Hey, just because it's happening to you doesn't mean that that the answer that you think is right is the right answer for a broad section of society. From the very get-go, take it personally seriously and be personally responsible, but wait and see on these mitigations, wait and see on these things instead of just mass mandating everything. You know, um, now the slogan, if it's COVID, Paxlovid, right? Now we've got that in our airways, right? What what the hell are you talking about? The gall, the chutzpah, because guess who owns Paxlovid? Pfizer. Super Bowl was it 53? This this previous one? Yeah. Yeah. Um brought to you by Pfizer because we saw about 60% of the commercials, like Daniel mentioned. Mm-hmm. I, I just keep going back to this. I don't I don't want to be the one that toots my own horn. But it wasn't hard. This isn't this was not something that should have been hard to figure out as a society. Instead, we allowed fear, we allowed that spirit of the age, because we are not rooted in God anymore, we allowed fear to dictate. We have to do no, No, we don't have to do something. We have to do the right things. We have to do the the things that will actually work. And if nothing works, guess what? We have to ride it out. And that's really actually what we ended up doing here, Pat, is riding it out. Because we have an ineffective vaccine, they can't produce a a booster shot that that works with any of the current uh, forms. We 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 ended up writing it out. That's that's where we're at.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Um, I was actually talking with my wife about it last night, and because she got the Moderna shots um, early on when when everything was first coming out, being a teacher, and. When they came out with the 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 booster, she actually told me last night. She's like, "Yeah, when they came out with the booster, I knew something was wrong," and she's refused to get it ever again. And mm-hmm. it's it's that that's kind of I think where we're starting to go as a, as a country. At least I hope so. Um, but to your point, I mean, there are stories in this book. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, there's there's the one that he, he Matty DeGarry was one, um, Scott Shara and his daughter was another, and then um, I'm blanking on the other name right now, but uh, 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 oh, it was Ann Quiner. That's who it was. Uh, these stories, I mean, I wanted to throw the book. <laughs> up I, I wanted I wanted to put holes in the wall. That's how angry I got. I've been angry reading stories before, but not, never to this level, you know? And that's what we're trying to stop. We're trying to stop these things from ever happening again because there's no reason that these people sh- should a- either be A, disabled, or otherwise dead today. There's no reason mm-hmm. for it.
3: None! Oh, yeah. And, and again, you know, that's been something that I've personally gone through during this time frame. And And, and that's the thing that I struggle with is that, none of the things that like Nuremberg is going to do will bring any of that back. But the goal here is to to stop this from ever happening again. Just like the Nuremberg Code was supposed to do that, now you can make the argument that it hasn't really worked because we've seen how many genocides in this world since then, Mm -hmm. but at the same point in time, there's accountability that never would have been there from before either. So I, I am glad that this book was written I think it can open some eyes, but more importantly, I think it lays out that pathwork for the 30, 45% of people who might be activated on this cause. Now, we know that about 61% of the people right now believe that vaccines do not work. That's a good place to start, right? Like we've, right. we've flipped that, and we've turned that corner. We flipped it around here. So now we have some skepticism that's more broad. I, I just, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, your final thoughts, though, on today's show.
1: Yeah. So I, I just want to add this really quick. If if you are within the sound of my voice and you are on the jab me harder side of things, get uncomfortable for just two seconds in your life. Mm-hmm. Pick up this book and read it. Challenge your own views on this because we've done it and, and we'll be the first women. We haven't been completely right about everything. COVID. No, no one has. It's impossible. No one That's has. an impossibility. But yeah, Right. So pick up this book, read it, and see these stories for yourselves. And by the way, these are just a handful of the thousands of stories that are out there like these.
3: And one thing that Daniel and and Steve have brought up, and Daniel didn't bring up here, but have brought up in the past is each and every one of these is not some hypothetical story. These are real individuals being really interviewed on tape, open- Uh, for yeah. everybody to be able to see. So this yeah. is not something of which this is like some made up story with made up characters and and here's how you do it. No, this is reality slapping you in the face. And a lot of people don't like it right now. And a lot of people don't want reality to slap them in the face as as like you've said and that's because we've been we are comfortable being comfortable. Right. And we have long talked about being comfortable, being uncomfortable or getting used to being different. Conf- confrontation. This book is confronting. It confronts your whether you believe, you know, it's a bioweapon and blah, 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 all the Stu Peters conspiracy theories, or you believe that uh, jab me harder, mask me more, right? This is supposed to confront each and every one of your predisposed notions when it comes to this because it's challenged mine. So read it. I agree with you. Final thoughts.
1: Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. Go to Amazon.com, pick up Rise of the Fourth Reich, confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial so this never happens again by Steve Dace and Daniel Horowitz.
3: Please be smart, be safe, be kind. Make sure you eat all of your meals today. And as always, Matthew 547.